Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health, the podcast that shows you how to live a longer and healthier life, showcasing doctors, clinicians, and patient stories. The goal of South Coast Health is to help and inspire you to navigate your health journey with knowledge, comfort, and ease. Hi, everyone. I'm Patricia Raskin, and I'm the host of Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. And today we are talking about thoracic surgery. My guest is Dr. Tammy Gleason. She received her Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine degree from Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine in Kirksville, Missouri. She completed a general surgery residency at St. John Detroit Riverview Hospital in Warren, Michigan, and a thoracic cardiovascular surgery fellowship at the Henry Ford Health System in Detroit. Dr. Gleason is board certified in cardiovascular thoracic surgery and general surgery. She's a member of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, the Minimally Invasive Robotic Association, and the American College of Osteopathic Surgeons. Previously, Dr. Gleason was the owner-operator of the Thoracic Surgery Institute Southwest Michigan, and prior to that, she was chairman of the Department of Surgery at Battle Creek System in Battle Creek, Michigan. Most recently, Dr. Gleason was noted for establishing the Minimally Invasive Esophageal Surgery Program at Maine General Medical Center in Augusta, Maine. She was recently recognized as the National Association of Professional Women, Woman of the Year. She has a special interest in lung cancer screenings, lung nodule management, esophageal cancer, minimally invasive thoracic surgery, and robotic thoracic surgery. Welcome, Dr. Tammy Gleason. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Let's talk about what areas of the body thoracic refers to. So thoracic surgery, we always say, is diaphragm and above, which is mostly true. I mean, we do do hiatal hernias, which is where the stomach herniates into the chest. We do a lot of esophageal surgery. For general uh, non-cardiac thoracic surgery, we still do some heart surgeries, but it's more related to the outside of the heart. So any tumors that are in and around the heart, uh, around the heart lining, uh, includes any tumors of the, the trachea, which is your breathing tube, the esophagus, which is your swallowing tube, and of course, any surgeries with the lung and the lining around the chest wall. Dr. Gleason, what are the types of thoracic surgery and what's the most common type of thoracic surgery? I think the most common thing that we do is probably lung surgery, first and foremost, anything to do with lung nodules and lung cancers and lung cancer resections uh, is probably what we most commonly do. And obviously different biopsies related to that. Biopsies of different lymph nodes when we talk about cancer surgery and cancer staging. And then you sort of include everything else uh, after that as far as we deal with lung infections. We deal with, obviously, like we talked about, stomach surgeries and things of that nature as well. Can you speak about lung cancer and the importance of screenings? Oh, yes. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for lung cancer screening was a huge advocate of screening before screening became popular, so to speak, or became certified. I think it's very important for people who are high risk to 
be evaluated by their primary care physicians, to be recognized and put into a screening program. Because the only way we can truly diagnose lung cancer early is are the screening patients that are high risk and finding a nodule that is early. And early diagnosis is key when it comes to long-term survival from lung cancer. We know that despite all the, the treatment options we have now compared to before, the improvement in treatment options such as things like immune therapy and localized radiation therapy like SBRT, we still know that lung cancer has a very poor prognosis as the stage advances. So as you go uh, from stage one to stage four, you're going from a 92% survival all the way down to a 5% survival. Mm. So the screening is extremely important to catch those patients early. Besides smokers, who is at risk for lung cancer? So we know that smoking is obviously the, the lead cause. So 85% of lung cancers are due to smoking. What a lot of people don't recognize is the second leading cause of cancer is radon gas exposure. And radon gas is found in certain climates and certain ground. It's you can't see it, you can't smell it, and so you actually have to test your home or your apartment for radon gas to see if you're at a high level of radon gas and actually need a mitigation system. So that's the second leading cause. And then you're looking at things like occupational exposures, um, asbestos exposure, of course, everyone is aware of, which causes lung cancer as well as a very common cancer disease, which is called mesothelioma. Do you feel that people should have testing for radon in their home or in the workplace? Uh, I feel that they should, yes, because there are a lot of cancers in patients who are non-smokers that we really don't know what the cause is. And when, when they come to the office and you're talking to them about what their exposures are, a lot of people can't answer that question about radon gas. There are some states that actually require, especially if you're selling or buying a home, that you do have the radon gas levels tested mm -hmm. and a mitigation system sort of inputted. I don't think the state of Massachusetts requires it, but I do promote it for all the patients that I talk to. Hmm. What significant developments in lung cancer treatments over the years um, has South Coast worked with at the Cancer Center in terms of technology and treatments? So a combination of both, both on the inpatient side, the surgical side, as well as the Cancer Center. So you can talk about the advancements in robotic technology. South Coast has implemented uh, the advanced uh, Da Vinci robot, which is now the XI. We have two XI robots at Charlton, one at St. Luke's, and now one at Toby as well, where we can do cancer surgeries at all three hospitals, and that includes lung cancer resections. With that technology comes different ways more to specialize or personalize lung cancer surgeries for patients, which includes dye marking or IV injections to be able to visualize things like with Firefly, where you can see where the tumor is, the circulation of the tumor, and resect or conserve more lung tissue for a patient so they recover better. On the cancer center side, you're looking more at different types of radiation. So before I mentioned SBRT, so let's say 
I find somebody with a lung cancer, it's early stage, but for specific reasons, they're not a candidate for surgery. You would consider stereotactic body radiotherapy or SBRT, which is a focused radiation beam to a cancer nodule that will actually kill the cancer, but it's very well tolerated. It's a treatment every other day for five treatments. It's not your classic style radiation, and it does have very good results as well. They can't tell that they've had any treatment done. It doesn't cause significant scarring of the lung tissue. Mm -hmm. There are some tumors that it treats where you may have still some pain of the chest wall itself. You can still get a sunburn like you can see with radiation for other reasons. And sometimes people will still get a little short of breath, but it that depends on their baseline mm -hmm. lung function also. Yeah. I'd like to go back to the technology for a minute. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the robotics? Um, if someone has surgery, what does that technique look like? So robotics is really just more advanced, minimally invasive surgery. So like for me, I adopted robotics early on when it first came out back in uh, for thoracic surgery back in 06, 07. We had robotics since the 1990s, you know, in Detroit, especially where I was working. But it really became more popular for thoracic surgery. And with the increasing advancements of the robot, you now have better instruments for managing the lung tissue. It's more gentle on the lung tissue, better stapling devices for both the blood vessels and the lung tissue where you don't see you know, basically zero bleeding with surgery, uh, zero injury to the lungs themselves. The robotic technology is still thoracoscopy, which really just means I'm going to make eight millimeter incisions in between your ribs and put in a camera and three what we call working ports where the other instruments will go into the chest. And with those... I am able to control the camera and all of my instruments while I'm doing surgery, and my assistant at the table only has to exchange instruments when I need to. So you're really making tiny incisions to get into the chest and dissect what you need to for that lung cancer. Which would be much harder to do without the robotics. Correct. So robotics allows you to have... 3D visualization of the inside of the chest. The instrumentation allows you to have a 360 degree mobility of your instruments. And with the advancing technology with sealing agents, uh, electrocautery, the stapling devices, you're getting a much better dissection and a better outcome for that patient, especially with cancer operations. And we have proved that time and time again in evidence-based medicine and articles that are out there. So to put it in perspective, and I come from the olden days, so 30 years ago doing open thoracic surgery where you made big incisions and you spread the ribs, you know, those patients would stay in the hospital for up to a week and it would take one to two years to completely recover come all the way to now with the, especially with the newest robot, the DaVinci XI, now the surgery time is an hour and a half. You're in the hospital overnight and the vast majority of people, probably 80% go home the next day. And your recovery time is three to six months instead of one to two years. Wow. It's significantly improved. Yeah. Speaking of that, when a patient comes in and you work with them and then you diagnose an issue and surgery is 
the next part of the process. How do you explain it to them, particularly when they weren't expecting it, they're upset about it? How do you work with the patient? Uh, it's it's a lot, right? You know, we have to be somewhat counselors and psychologists. You have to be able to read a, a patient and a family when they come in. Because a lot of times I am seeing them for the first time and talking about surgery on that very first visit because they've had all their work up. But sometimes they don't know the results of their testing. They don't know the results of their scans. And so you're my first question a lot of times is, how much do you know? Like, do you understand why you're here and what we're going to do and get a feel for what they've already been told and then sort of take it from there? And it's mm -hmm. a lot of just having a lot of eye contact with them and really trying to describe things very easily, very simply, and also still giving a realistic expectation of what they may be going through or what they need to go through. You know, for some people, it's very difficult to handle. For a lot of people, you can tell when their brain sort of shuts off and you have to sort of step back a little bit and come back to the table and re-explain what you just did. And I have personal experience with this in my own family. So mm -hmm. Um, my dad's side of the family, uh, every single person on his side of the family died from small cell lung cancer, including my dad. So I, so again, it's another reason why I have a huge passion about lung cancer, lung cancer screening and getting people the best and quickest care, uh, because I know what it was like to go through that with each of my family members from the beginning to the end, uh, when they passed away. Dr. Gleason, is that one of the reasons you went into this field? Uh, it is. It is. Um, I, you know, oddly enough, I went into initially dental school <laughs> before I went to medical school. But obviously, after a year transition to medical school, and I knew that going to medical school, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to do cardiothoracic surgery. That's what I did. And it was sort of one of my passions to focus on lung cancer and how can we get better and be a part of all those different types of meetings and conferences. What's the preparation for thoracic surgery when you talk to your patients? How do you prepare them? So we talk a lot about initially, so if they already come to me with a diagnosis, let's say, and they have had a biopsy and they have a lung cancer, and now we're talking about surgery, it's talking a lot about the surgical technique, what to expect, where their incisions are going to be. How big are the incisions going to be? A lot of it's how long is the surgery going to take? How long are you going to be in recovery? And then how long are you going to be in the hospital and what to expect when you go home? From the surgery side, we talk about the complications or the potential complications that they can have and mainly focusing how are you going to feel when you wake up from anesthesia? How significant is the pain going to be? What are we going to do to treat that pain and discomfort for you so you have a um, sort of a better outcome while you're having your restrictions? And what are the restrictions postoperatively? And when are you going to follow? And what up? are they? So usually after yeah. surgery, we tell you not to drive for one week. Um, we tell people no lifting, pushing, pulling more than 10 pounds for two weeks to allow the little port site incisions to heal. And we're always seeing them within that two-week time period uh, 
to see how they're healing, how they're feeling, how is their pain control, and then relinquishing those restrictions when we feel that they're ready. Mm-hmm. What are the possible side effects along with the recovery? What might be side effects from the thoracic surgery? So a lot of it is nerve pain side effects. So what a lot of people don't realize is our rib cage, we have a nerve in between each and every rib that we are um, doing surgery on. So when we do a minimally invasive surgery, we try to do most of it in one level of the rib cage. So we're really only affecting one nerve, but everybody is going to have nerve pain. Everybody is going to have like that tingling, numbness, burning sensation. I'll usually tell people, think about it like when your arm or your leg falls asleep and it's starting to wake back up and that's the sensation you're going to feel on your chest wall. And a lot of people will just have numbness along with that as well. And then the second thing they're going to feel is like a muscle cramping or a muscle spasm. Like it's going to feel like, oh, all of a sudden a Charlie horse in your chest wall. And that's what pain medications are for. But that's also why we say use your heating pad, use your warm compress. Some people still like ice, but we usually only use that for the first day or two because really cold doesn't help after about 48 hours. And then we focus on Once they're able to do more than just shower, and if they want to do hot tub or they want to do uh, sort of a warm bath type of thing, they can do that after the two-week mark as well, which does help you want to relax those muscles in the chest wall. What is the chance that the cancer could come back? Good question. It varies. So it varies based on what was your initial stage of lung cancer when you were first diagnosed. So when we look at stage one, which is what we're focused on, right? We're trying to get early detection. So these stage one patients will do well. If you are the earliest stage, stage one, your survival rate is 92% based on statistics. And we talk about survival rate, we talk about five-year survival rate because we're looking at patients and following them with x-rays and doing what we call lung cancer surveillance for five years. And if you're clean at five years, you're you're typically golden, so to speak. So 92% survival means, okay, you'll have an 8% failure rate, so to speak, where you may develop something within that five years. If you go to a stage two patient, I can say, okay, we're going to do your five-year surveillance. Your recurrence rate may be 30%. And if you go to a stage three patient where they have more lymph node involvement or the tumor's a larger size, now you can say your recurrence rate is going to be over 50% risk. Mm-hmm. So it it definitely varies or advances based on stage. So what are the follow-up tests that the patient would need afterwards? So classically, uh, so if you're talking about a surgical patient, someone who had surgery and with or without radiation or chemotherapy afterwards, classically you're doing a surveillance CAT scan every six months for the first two years and then every year until their fifth year anniversary. Talk about the patient returning to their life after thoracic surgery. What accommodations might they have to make? So again, a good question. A lot of it depends on stage, right? So stage one patients are really solely recovering from their surgery. 
and their ability to go around work and everything is very, very good. Their return to work rate is very, very good. If they're retired, you know, they can get back into their golfing, their activity very quickly, typically, you know, between that three and six month period. What I tell all of my patients, regardless of extent of surgery, is they will all feel short of breath for that three to six month period. And by the six month period is when you'll start getting back to normal from a breathing perspective. Mm-hmm. Because your your lung will expand. Like when we take out a part of the lung, the lung is like a sponge. So it will get bigger, it'll fill with air, the lung that's left behind. Mm-hmm. But it takes a while for it to regain the function that it lost. And that while is up to six months afterwards. And we encourage people to exercise their lungs. So they get sent home with a little toy called an incentive spirometer. We encourage them to continue to use that constantly. We encourage people, obviously, to stay stopping smoking, so to speak, uh, or quit smoking if they continue to after surgery, because that's the only way they're going to have good longevity for Mm -hmm. their lung condition, Mm -hmm. which will lead to better exercise capacity as time goes on. And in terms of the stages, you mentioned stage one, two, and three. That is determined on how much of the cancer is in the body, correct? Correct. So stage one is the earliest stage. So it means you just have a nodule in the lung and all the lymph nodes are negative. Uh, Stage two is, yes, you have the tumor in the lung, but now you have lymph nodes that are positive. Stage three becomes more advanced lymph nodes. So you either have progression to the opposite side of the chest uh, or the tumor is larger or more invasive and there's much more lymph nodes involved. And stage four, unfortunately, is when you've gone outside of the lung and now you've spread to the bone, the liver, Mm -hmm. the kidneys, the brain, that type of scenario. Yeah. Bruce from Middletown, Rhode Island, was no stranger to pain. I kept hurting my back. Then I found out I have degenerative disc disease. From the age of 15 to the age of 35, I had 12 surgeries. I was in agony. And it was a three-year period where I deteriorated to the point that I couldn't stand up. And I wanted to give up. Then Bruce met with a neurosurgeon at South Coast Health. Very impressed with him, his honesty. And he told me what he was going to do. South Coast Health is nationally recognized for superior outcomes in spine surgery and neurosurgery. To find the right South Coast physician for you, call 844-744-5544 or go to southcoast.org. I can't tell you how much of a difference it's made in my life. Not to be in pain. Phenomenal. Life is good. (laughs) South Coast Health, more than medicine. Dr. Gleason, are there preventive measures we can take to prevent problems with the lungs? Now, certainly you're going to talk about not smoking, but what are some other things as well? The other things are protect your lungs from any inhaled gases, any inhaled chemicals, any inhaled smoke. So, uh, for example, some of my patients that work in construction or work in very smoky environments or inhale chemicals in their uh, job uh, environment, we do promote them to wear masks while they're at work uh, to protect their lungs as much as possible. 
for patients who are very sensitive, even if you're outdoors in a windy day and having a fire pit outside type of thing, some people that irritates their lungs enough, especially if they have baseline emphysema or COPD, where we'll say wear a mask in that situation. And the other ways, of course, yeah, like you said, you know, we always promote smoking cessation because uh, that's the biggest way. But even that, now we're seeing a lot more people who are doing electronic cigarettes and vaping. I'll have them stop that. What about foods in terms of foods and exercise? Exercise in terms of, you know, expanding your lungs and breathing and doing deep breathing and yoga. So exercise and also food. So exercise definitely helps. And usually I tell people you don't have to be a marathon runner, right? Just do normal walking, you know, one or two miles every day, you know, or walk for 30 minutes every day. Definitely low level biking helps as well with function or lung function and exercise capacity. The most successful exercise actually for longevity, uh, not just for lung disease, but in general for people is gardening. Gardening has been proven very much to increase longevity mm -hmm. of patients. And if you look at people in their 80s who are healthier in general, they, they did a lot of gardening or continue to garden in their older age. Do you think part of that is being in the environment, being in nature, breathing the fresher air? I think a lot of it is more just being active. I mean, some of it definitely can be, yeah, you're in an environment, you're in fresher air, you're outdoors, but a lot of it is just being constantly active, but not so to speak, like people who do simple activities, like I walk a mile or two a day, or I'm doing gardening, live longer than the person who's the Ironman or triathlete or marathoner, right? So, and statistics have shown that. So if you do some type of low level, you're just a very active, low level person, you will do better than someone who's going to go off and, and run, you know, a marathon every weekend type of thing. Interesting. Dr. Gleason, what would you like to leave our listeners with today about thoracic surgery, about thoracic health? Um, definitely if you're a high-risk patient. So when we talk about lung cancer risk and lung cancer screening, the high-risk patient who's a candidate for lung cancer screening is someone who is 50 years or older, someone who's an active smoker currently and has smoked uh, what we call 20 pack years or more. So when we talk about pack years, we're saying, okay, you smoked a pack a day for 20 years, you smoked uh, two packs a day for 10 years, half a pack a day for 40 years, that type of scenario where you add that together. And then if you did quit smoking, you quit smoking less than 15 years ago because we know that your risk of cancer does not normalize until that 15-year mark. So that is who we target for lung cancer screening. That's who we have our primary care physicians target for lung cancer screening because a CT lung screening is a very low-dose CAT scan is very readily obtained. It doesn't, it takes like less than five minutes to do the scan. The radiation level is extremely low and the benefits of it can be extreme as far as finding your lung cancer early. So you do have a normal life expectancy and that you can continue to do the activities you want to do, go out with your family and travel, so on and so forth. Thank you so much, Dr. Gleason. Dr. Tammy Gleason is a cardiac thoracic surgeon at South Coast Health. And thank you so much. Thank that you. wraps up this edition 
of Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. To subscribe to this podcast, visit www.southcoast.org forward slash healthy dash aging. While you are there, we want to hear from you. Please take the time to complete a quick survey so we can learn more about the topics for upcoming episodes that you are most interested in to live a healthy lifestyle. Thank you to our hosts, Patricia Raskin and South Coast Health. This podcast is brought to you by creative content developer Raskin Resources Productions and produced by Virtually You.